0: Everybody, this is Tracy Malone from narcissistabuse support.com. I am going to bring you a very special guest today, Dr. Craig Malkin, the author of Rethinking Narcissism. He is a clinical psychologist and a lecturer at Harvard Medical School. And um, he's, he's just so powerfully brilliant that I had to bring him in here today to talk about negative thought patterns negative thought patterns like catastrophizing and just thinking uh, in ways that hurt us. We, you know, go to these things because of our PTSD and he's going to help us untangle exactly why the PTSD and the reactions from our abuse are putting us in this place where we don't feel safe and where we need to protect ourselves with some negative thought patterns. Um catastrophizing is my specialty. Um but we all have stories in our mind. It's when the stories go negative that they have an impact on us and they can affect our mood and affect everything about us. They can put fear in our hearts. And today Dr. Craig is going to explain to us what to do, what the tie between PTSD is and let's go meet Dr. Craig Malkin.
1: Thank you so much for having me Tracy.
0: I am so honored that you are here. As you and I know, I've been trying to get you on my screen for a while, and it's great to have you here. Um, Your expertise is going to come in really handy today because we're going to be talking about um, the negative thought patterns. You know, our brains are just loaded with stories, but um, when they have gone awry, when we have been through abuse, we tend to go and and attach ourselves to the negative thought patterns. And, um, you know, I thought we'd start off by having you give us an explanation explanation of what are negative thought patterns
1: so I think probably the easiest place to start is the way negative thought patterns arise out of trauma
0: that's what my second question was so it's a perfectly it's
1: related you know what are what are these negative thought patterns what is catastrophic thinking and when you really look at what happens for people they're thinking about dangers to come to themselves dangers to come to people they care about, general dangers in life and signs that it might happen. And people wind up going through in their mind, what if I lose my job? You know, what if my child gets sick? What if my child turns out to be narcissistic? Like my ex, I hear a a lot of things like that. That's a strong theme. So it's this preoccupation with any difficulty bump in the road problem leading to this danger down the line and the example of the kid is a good one because what happens is i'll be helping somebody and they'll have some sign of selfishness in their kid right it's not chronic it's not a pattern yet i get that too but they'll see something and they're like oh my gosh what's going to happen here is this rubbing off on my child so it's a great example of how it happens in parenting why do we develop these catastrophic patterns of thought Let's talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, because that's really, we can go through point by point how different clusters of symptoms and experience relate to catastrophic thinking. Okay. So first I'm just going to go over if, for those of you who are listening and watching, who already know this, forgive the review, but remember post-traumatic stress disorder can really be thought of as a cluster of avoidance of thoughts, feelings, and reminders of an original trauma that caused the trauma feelings themselves. Re-experiencing symptoms, which is feeling as though it's happening again, like flashbacks, intrusive thoughts when you're relaxed and just sort of bored and they pop into your head. Hyperarousal, feeling keyed up on an edge all the time. This is an important one. Uh, It's an overactive sympathetic nervous system state where that constant that's what sympathetic nervous system arousal is it's being constantly in fight or flight and then hyper being on guard for potential danger so anybody who's been abused could have any one of and usually all of those responses whether it's relational abuse say with an extremely narcissistic partner or parent and or direct physical abuse and the starting point for catastrophic thinking is when we are in a chronic sympathetic nervous system state the whole point of it is to orient us to safety or danger Mm -hmm. is this safe is this dangerous and the the cost of underestimating the danger when we've experienced a lot of upsetting distressing dangerous situations is high enough that what happens is we we immediately our thoughts move towards that worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what that's what a chronic state of hyperarousal is for. It's to not be unprepared for when that awful thing happens to be and to make sure that you are keeping that danger in mind. So as long as somebody is constantly in that fight or flight state, Mm -hmm. they're going to have catastrophic thinking nobody has these thoughts when they're relaxed.
0: makes sense and and again is this really common you said most people experience the ptsd in this type of abuse or or you know a a fair percentage of it um in that and all of those symptoms of ptsd are we mapping them right to sort of the 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 intuitive i go right to negative thinking
1: Uh, are are we mapping the kind of trauma response to this kind of Oh, absolutely. And there's more I can say about I just wanted to pause there. So, you know, we can, again, let's go through each of them. Mm Re-experiencing, acting, you know, feeling as though the original trauma is happening. Say the trauma is uh, feeling alone, uh, feeling vulnerable, feeling abandoned in a relationship. These are relational traumas, and they often happen with very self-involved, um, unempathic people, which is a pattern, obviously with somebody who's extremely narcissistic, Mm -hmm. if, if that has been your experience, then, then at the first signs of difficulty with, with a a friend, an emotional bump in the road, uh, let alone a a narcissistic partner. Now you're geared up for This is going to trigger these memory feelings. Oh my God, here we go again yeah so that's also a pathway to catastrophic thinking Mm -hmm. uh, where it immediately triggers those feelings as though oh i'm back in it here here this is going to be happening to me again Mm -hmm. Uh, and and this explains why sometimes people wind up having these thoughts in a relationship say with a therapist i do a lot of correcting people emotionally with the catastrophic thinking that comes up with us just kind of having me check in and say is it right now, are you feeling judgment for me? Are you feeling like I'm going mm-hmm. to, is it feeling like I'm criticized? No, no. And that's a way of bringing the person out of that re-experiencing, which leads to the, the catastrophic thoughts.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. This is really important. So cognitive distortion and cognitive dissidence. Like I hear those words thrown around and, um, you know, I've said cognitive distortion in my, videos before and people are like you're wrong it's cognitive dissonance, and i'm like pretty sure it's cognitive distortions when we are having these negative thought patterns can you explain the difference between the two is there a difference for people to hear
1: well yeah catastrophic thinking uh, here's the clearest way i can put it and uh, which is i talk about with people who are extremely narcissistic they are organized around what i call triple e right exploitation doing whatever it takes to feel special no matter the cost to others, entitlement, acting as of the world owes them and should bend to their will, empathy impairments, right? But for survivors of abuse, and particularly when they've had, again, a selfish or self-involved partner where they've had to manage these experiences of distress on their own, this is going to be a key component in what we talk about with this, this negative thinking, that, that sense of, of aloneness, of utter aloneness they are only going to feel like they can manage safety and make sure they are on top of feeling safe with a kind of preoccupation that i call triple p which is focusing on prevention focusing on prediction and focusing on being prepared and when you think of negative thoughts like catastrophic or or distorted Cognitive distortion, where you're reading something there worse than it actually is, that is all about triple P, right? If I don't trust that somebody is going to be with me in a, in in a time of stress, and in fact that they're going to make it worse, mm-hmm. if they're not going to support me, if they are not going to help me with the, what those experiences feel like emotionally. Mm-hmm. which you don't get with a partner who can't securely attached, who is too self-involved, self-focused to do so. Mm-hmm. Then my only way of making sure I'm safe now and in the future is, is to predict danger, to be on the lookout for it, to, to see it as quickly as possible mm-hmm. to prevent it because I, it's just up to me. And as soon as you start to recognize that it makes sense why people would go up in their head mm-hmm. and try to think through and control the possibility of the bad thing to come because there's no sense that if it does come they're going to have other resources and other help and other and resi- other sources of resilience I, I hope and I hope we get time to talk about that, the, helping with that isolation. because that's part of the what to this is very different from cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. because cognitive dissonance is really about what do you do? If, mm-hmm. if, if an experience, uh, uh, what, what you go through in a relationship, for example, doesn't match what your beliefs are. Mm-hmm. The idea of cognitive dissonance is, well, if if this person is treating me like a bad person, really, really bad, putting me down, then maybe I need to adjust my thinking. That's cognitive dissonance, mm-hmm. right? Where as, to reduce the dissonance, I change my beliefs in response to the experience. You can see, it can lead to negative thinking, particularly about the self, but it's a very different feel than this idea of Triple P.
0: Mm-hmm, I love Triple P. I can't wait to write a meme about that. <laughs> <laughs> um so so is this kind of tied if it was the fight flight or freeze you know i'm picturing the caveman hiding from the saber-toothed tiger and predicting and knowing that 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 danger is is in in the distance so does it tie into again ptsd and then the fight flight or freeze this is seems like it's more of the get prepared to fight and but also you're freezing at the same time of these negative thought
1: patterns Precisely. You're bringing us back to the trauma symptoms again, and I'm glad. I'm glad you are because, yeah, it, again, it's wired into us. I want to say that too. That that part of the pervasive pervasiveness of these responses is that they serve an adaptive function. Mm-hmm. If you are in if if you're in emotionally and physically dangerous environments, it's better to assume that there's danger there. And that's the, that's the part that sort of we're prepared for as human beings out there in the world. If the rustling in the bushes is a tiger, then the cost of us assuming it isn't is pretty damn high. And one of the clusters of post-traumatic stress disorder, that, that hyper arousal being keyed up on edge alert to danger is all about making sure that you read whatever signs there are as that rustling in the bushes so that the so that the the upsetting dangerous distressing horrible event doesn't happen again mm-hmm. and now translate that into catastrophic thinking oh it it must be something mm-hmm. awful that must that what's happening now must be a sign of some awful thing to come
0: it's, it's predicting and,
1: the future yes it's 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 the predict part of triple p yeah
0: yeah exactly Mm -hmm. this is like if i look at this um and and i guess my question here is i had narcissistic parents so this has always been my modality i just i don't even pass go i just go into the world is falling apart you know I've gotten better since I've healed but my entire life my my childhood my life I did this is because of the abuse that I suffered so is it something that people can come along and just carry along with their life because of that trauma early and then it just continues on or is it something that let's say they've never had that pattern like i did but they are in a narcissistic relationship an unsafe place and that it now gets born
1: I, I i think it's really common and this is true of all abuse right that that a lot of times people who went who land in an abusive relationship they've had previous experiences of abuse. Mm-hmm. That said, anytime you take someone, t- say, take someone who's securely attached. And by that, I mean that they have what's called effective dependence. They trust that when they're sad, scared, like in a blue distressed, that some, mm-hmm. s- someone will be there for them. What happens is if, if you take that person and then put them in a relationship where the, the experience is entirely different. And like most of us, we work to try to stay in a relationship. Maybe they start to have cognitive dissonance. Maybe it's not all that bad. Maybe there's something I'm doing. Maybe they start to blame themselves, right? If you take someone with that experience where they haven't had narcissistic parents in the past and then land them in that situation, now they have that experience of aloneness again. Even if somebody has securely attached, uh, can land in a relationship where they feel emotionally isolated where they're not sure they can depend on this person where they're not sure they're entirely safe and then as soon as that happens we're going to rely on calling these strategies for coping including and including catastrophic thinking Mm
0: -hmm. yeah thank you that answers that for sure again I, i it was sort of like the root was where i was going with that what do we do about it what do people that experience this how do you help people get this you know processing to change
1: step one is just educating the way we are right now i mean this is a lot of the kind of education i do i haven't done it in in sequence the way we're doing it right now and it was only after sort of mulling over the the conversation that i would have with you that i thought of how neatly how neatly Catastrophic thinking derives from each of these clusters of symptoms and post-traumatic stress disorder. And so I always do some of that, that you've helped me organize it in this way. And the starting point is helping people recognize when they are in a fight or flight state. Mm-hmm. Because again, go back to what hyper, hyper vigilance and hyper vigilance thoughts, which are also circular, right? If 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 my feeling is the only way to stay safe is to be alert and on guard for danger Mm -hmm. then the contents of my thinking are going to be filled with those potential dangers but now i'm also generating a constant sense of danger that keeps me on hyper alert and hyper arousal uh and that's the whole point of it because if you've had these experiences where you don't feel like it's safe to relax into somebody's arms in a relationship over a long period of time figuratively and literally, if you don't feel like it's safe to trust yourself with them, then you need to be on guard. That's what hypervigilance hyper arousal are. So I teach people like, what do you feel in your body? Like to really tune into the feelings of anxiety so that they know when they're in that chronic fight or flight state, that we need to do something to help them first down regulate and You know, with most, with a lot of trauma survivors, uh, meditation isn't all that helpful. I mean, you've probably come across this for people for whom relaxing your guard, and this is why I brought that up a a few moments ago, is dangerous. The first signs they feel like they're relaxing or getting calm, they actually have a paradoxical reaction where they get anxious, like, oh my gosh, can I really, can I really do this? So you want to think of what are the ways to take somebody out of a fight or flight state to see what they're thinking is then and how things look Mm -hmm. to take them out of, is it safe? Is it dangerous to get back to that more nuanced state? So that can be done sure with, with meditation, relaxation exercises, but it, it can also be done with intensive exercise of some kind, because you get your heart rate up, especially for people who don't feel that stillness is safe. Run around the block, jump up and down, shake, you know, shake yourself out. I do that with people sometimes to get that energy out. And that can bring online a parasympathetic response. And as simple as that is, if you start to feel calming and then come back to whatever the situation is, your thinking might be slightly different. It almost certainly will be as long as you're calm inside, Mm -hmm. it's going to shift things. So that's the first thing I try to help people do.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, then what?
1: (laughs) There's deeper issues here. So again, let's come back to exactly what happens when somebody is in this state of mind predict prevent um and prepare that state of mind is all about it's just up to me Mm -hmm. there is no one else if you've had narcissistic parents or you're in a relationship like this you don't feel like your partner is going to come to your aid or your parents going to come to your aid so again what recourse do you have except to go up into your head to manage the danger. And that's what this preoccupation and catastrophic line of thought is about. It's controlling the potential danger by seeing it coming, predicting, preparing for it by going into the head. Mm -hmm. So what replaces that is feeling like people might, people can be there for us. So I work with people on increasing their sense of attachment security or restoring it if they've had in the past. Mm-hmm. If somebody, if you've had just one person who uh, was that person who was there for you, push comes to shove. You know, whatever you're feeling, you you could, they would listen to you, they would be there for you. Everybody's got at least one person, even, even the most extremely, um, extreme trauma survivor experiences I've had. I've got plenty of people over the years there's always the one person and I have them recall that, call that up to try to get into the, the, to that feeling state of what it's like to be able to share those feelings instead of bearing the burden completely by themselves. I do this between two as a, as a psychologist, as a therapist, I'll help people experience it with me. And then again, lo and behold, if you can restore a sense of trust that people can provide comfort and safety in this mutual fashion, rather than me just having to work it out on my own, the catastrophic thinking comes down. Mm
0: -hmm. That makes sense. It's basically rephrasing some of the things in your mind, right? um you know you're you're putting in the thought of safety and and just bringing back those memories so that you know they can remember them and you know I I am always advising people to to like is there any evidence to the fact that there's a tiger in the in the garden right is there you know just exactly. really the evidence. logical yes. part of our yeah. brain to kick in but then finding that safety place and and again the feeling is always what we have to tap into where do you feel it you know exactly. can you touch it is it a color just wait, how high is it i always tell like you know you go to the hospital where's your pain level one to ten and i'm like where's your anxiety you know and what can we do like the the running the exercise the the, the working it to Perfect. lower that from the 10 to that's, a four and then you're in a better place to start to receive some of the other messages that you need
1: And you, and what happens is it brings online our more fully resourced adult, present sense of self, rather than being led by those trauma feelings, which are, this is why I prefer the term memory feelings, because they really aren't reality. They aren't what's happening now. Mm -hmm. They're that feeling coming back, which is, which is part of trauma. So absolutely. I'm glad you're bringing up the felt sense is so important. I work a lot with people on that so if i'm having it between the two of us mm-hmm. if that person feels safe with me and i have them tune into that or if it's a memory of somebody in in the past what how can you tell you feel safe mm-hmm. what what are you feeling inside internally what are the physiological cues there's something that tells you that you feel helped right now mm-hmm. and that you feel okay what is it and really drawing that out and then again I use that as kind of a platform. Okay. From there, when you return to this event, what, what thoughts come to you now? It, 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 it often just activates that more logical state of mind. It's a nice direct route to like go through the feelings first. Right. So I'm so glad you brought that up. The felt sense.
0: Yeah.
1: Another way of reducing catastrophic thinking
0: yeah it's to me it it, again this is the work i had to get through to learn to turn these voices off like we would have it was a couple years ago we had no heat in the middle of the winter and my son lives with me and i was like we're gonna get evicted oh you know he's like we just don't have heat mom and i'm like oh right you know it was it, it, it was just the way my brain went and it took you know my my adult son to say no 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 and it was like oh yeah I'm doing it again right? it's, it, it's it's patterns we get into a thing and we have to catch ourselves. we have to go am I doing that is my brain going there like grab a hold of the rope and and I'll pull it off the cliff before you go all the way to the the you know catastrophic thought and so yeah. you know it's 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 training your brain to catch it and then tune into the feelings tune into you know what you're going to do to pull yourself out so what you're saying is amazing. What else do we want to know about this topic?
1: Uh, I would want to mention. I want to come back to the the experience again of how mm-hmm. catastrophic thinking develops. Yes. In the it, through development that you were referring to, mm-hmm. but also in a, in a relationship, it can happen. If you in a time of distress. When you're sad, when you're scared, when, you, when you're facing a difficult circumstance, if instead of hearing from somebody you feel that sense of security with, oh, I'm so sorry, sweetheart. Uh, uh, I know this is a terrible situation. I understand that you're feeling scared. And I also believe that we can figure it out together. And I believe I, I have trust in you. I think you're so good at managing situations like this. And I'm here if you need help. Right. What that models is you are not alone. If if even if the worst happens, there's a next step
0: mm-hmm. and
1: someone there to help you if the worst happens. Mm-hmm. And we can figure it out together, there's a sense of community, there's a there's a sense of connection. If instead you grow up with parents or have a partner who's like, why are you always doing stuff like this? I mean, you bring it on yourself. Can't you can't, you know, wh- what what the hell are you thinking in the first place? This is so typical of you, right? If that's what you hear, you then internalize and that becomes the response to a difficult situation. There's no, there's no internal holding, there's no accompanying feeling that, that you carry with you of I got this. Mm-hmm. Like, um, okay, this, this is upsetting and, and this is bad, Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, I know I'm smart, I know I, and I know I have friends and I know they care about me Mm -hmm. and I know some of them I can even turn to if I need to stay with, with, if I need to stay with Lisa for a night, she's there and then she'll, and she'll, she'll help me, right? Very different. And in the absence of that, we go to catastrophic thinking, right? Because again, it's all about prepare predict and prevent, and that's it. It's not about feeling like you have company, support and help through a difficult experience. So another thing that I do to try to help people with this this thinking is to be aware of what supports they have around them, emotional supports, to tune into sources of comfort and safety and really rely on them. And if they don't have them, to start building them, because that is also a way out of this kind of thinking. And relatedly, it's a way out of bad relationships. Mm-hmm. Because catastrophic thinking also blinds us to other possibilities. You know, it blinds us, for, for one thing, to the possibility of having, having a relational experience that holds us instead of hurting us. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Right. And And the examples that you gave were brilliant because everyone can relate to them. Every single person that is going to watch this video is going to go, that's what my narcissist sounded like. I, I would have a, a trouble, something would be wrong, and I would be wrong and I would be blamed and 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 it just piles on. So the language of an abuser, um, in this case, a narcissist who is going to be saying those things to you, um it gets drilled into you so much that it becomes like again an auto response it's like there is no past you know it's just like okay they've just put me down and I got no support I'm alone and we go right back into it and we don't ever get that feeling that you're describing of someone who is supportive so victims like have to hear this because you know the stuff we hear after they or on the, their healing path is, I'll never love again. I'm too yeah. damaged. I'll 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 be alone for the rest of my life. I'm gonna die alone. I mean, the really good ones that really go to the high. I'm gonna die alone, and and it's 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 so scary to them, right? Those are the messages that they have gotten from the language of being with a narcissist,
1: and very often a direct message,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? This is we, part of the reason we internalize these things and, and they come to feel truth is that is also a way of coping. That is, that is an adaptation. It's kind of mostly unconscious, uh, if you can't beat them, join them. Mm -hmm. Right. If I, if I, if I'm going to have to manage and stay in a relationship like this, I'm going to have to think like this person. And this Mm -hmm. is where the predictive part gets in the way, but then there's also a very, very, uh, direct uh, r- result of hearing these things is that it is kind of conditioning, mm-hmm. right? Again, instead of me having, uh, an association to a f- a, f- a sense that, um, I'm going to be okay, no matter what, mm-hmm. you know, because the person who loved me modeled that and they told me, uh, they, 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 they would help me if I was struggling in some way, right. And if, instead of that being what comes up what happens is it's, it's like everybody know about pavlov's dog
0: mm-hmm.
1: right well, this is what i mean by to conditioning in
0: there for a second just so they know
1: and so pavlov did the original experiments where he showed how an involuntary response like salivation when it's paired with something some other event like a bell ringing you know over time the bell ringing will cause the salivation These are, these are trauma responses that we're talking about and they're adaptive in context. Uh, if we are in a dangerous environment, we have to be alert to danger and we have to be thinking about it and that's how we're going to survive. Right. But if every time you have a problem that if you feel, you know, accompanied and you have support, doesn't have to feel like the end of the world, what you hear is one of these messages. Now, that now that involuntary trauma response that, oh my God, what's going to happen is now conditioned. Mm-hmm. It's like the tone or the bell that rings in Pavlov's experiments.
0: Yeah, that's exactly as you were putting it together. I'm like, I was like, do I have a bell around? I was ready to go ding. Oh, yeah. because This is, this is how it's all happening. Um, have we missed anything that people need to know about this?
1: modeling, direct modeling too, um, where you can have an experience that can set you up for this kind of catastrophic thinking in, in, in a relationship with somebody who isn't supportive, who's narcissistic, who's self-involved. If every time, uh, something difficult happened to you growing up, Mm -hmm. every time there was a loss, a tragedy, uh, some kind of, distressing event, what you heard was, oh my God, what are we gonna do? Like, it's over, we're screwed, this is terrible, this is the worst thing that's ever happened, right? If that's what you heard, then you internalize that and that becomes the response. Mm -hmm. And so the modeling itself can get inside of us and then we actually feel like that's the proper response to the situation, again, because, there wasn't that sense of, it's going to be okay, sweetheart. We got this.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I When you were talking about that, I, I flashed to some of my clients who have young children. Again, they were married for 20 years to a narcissist and had this battle in their head, heard the negative things, used it as a response, and then their kids come along and they are just puppeting it back and being unsupportive, not even realizing they're being unsupportive because it's part of the normal response that they had to deal with when they were with the abuser.
1: That's exactly right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So again, people have to learn that they can change this and turn things around because, um, it's going to be a, a handicap in our lives. If we do not do the work to, learn how to turn these thoughts off and rescue ourselves before we go off the edge yes
1: yeah. and i think the i hope the take home and i want ringing in people's ears is that really all this is about is undoing aloneness and feeling safe feeling safe mm-hmm. as odd as that sounds meaning if your experience has been you better be on guard you better be alert you know to potential danger in a relationship or what or experiences that might come along then it won't feel safe relaxing your guard. So there's a kind of nervous system practice, you know, whole body felt experience of seeing that you can stay in that state of being comforted by someone, Mm -hmm. of feeling helped, of feeling held, of feeling secure, and nothing bad will happen now.
0: Right, right. And you know, if you think about victims, that the feeling safe is the hardest part. How do they trust the other person, the new person, because, when all they have is the evidence of why when they've trusted before it didn't work out so well. Um, Sorry, right? So it is it is something to undo. And and you know, that's a whole nother video to talk about trust. And people have to realize that when we build a better trust foundation, then we bring better people in our lives. You know, we we don't have some people don't have a lot of credentials for how to trust. Yes. And then they're like, oh my God, I made another mistake. Well, how did what what did they do that was trustworthy? I don't know, just gave it to them. You're like, okay, well, we've got to backtrack that because that is also another kind of side effect, if you would, where we trusted, it didn't work out so well, but we didn't really have this footprint of what it means for someone to be trustworthy in
1: our life. And mutuality and the unfolding of that trust. Uh Yes, exactly. This is the, the problem I think of as kind of i'm so scared to jump out of the airplane i'm just going to jump mm-hmm. and i i forget my parachute because that is that is our response to terrifying events right mm-hmm. is to either be on the alert hypervigilance and avoidance are flip sides of the same coin mm-hmm. it's all the same thing it's it's the preoccupation preoccupation with danger either i can go out of my way to avoid it or try not to think about it or i can jump at the first signs of it i can freak it i can uh, you know i can be scared at the first signs of it and, you know, there is a kind of a, a, avoidance in blindly trusting.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Right. Again, you know, it's, it's, it's not taking care of yourself by giving trust away before someone's doing it, or if they do untrustworthy, trustworthy things to just go, ah, oh, you know, cause you're used to that. So it's easier to let them off the hook in that case.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: So. Well, Craig, this has been amazing. I am so, so grateful. I am so happy that we finally got to do this. Thank you so much for coming back. I hope you'll join us again.
1: I absolutely will. Thanks for having me on.
0: You're welcome. Wasn't that great? I hope you all take note and even watch this one or two times because what he said is what we all need to know and what we all need to um, focus on healing after abuse also means we have to learn to turn those negative thought patterns off, the ones that have been imprinted on our mind as a reaction to the abuse. We don't have to hold them anymore. So I hope that you enjoyed this. Again, my name is Tracy Malone from Narcissist Abuse Support, and if you haven't subscribed, please do check that little button down there, and I'll see you again soon. Thank you.